Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for your work in the earth. Thank you that we get to be part of what it is you're doing in this little corner of the globe. And so, Lord, tonight we're grateful, and tonight we look to you as we come around this, this, this talk. I just pray, God, that you would, well, point people to Jesus, reveal your heart in it, rally our spirits to what it is you want to get done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about something that matters to God, and I want to talk to you with that in mind as people who really do care. Um, So listen to the Bible, listen to this from Isaiah 58, it says this, Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Good promise. And then it says this, Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. Who wants to live in that space? Or we do. And then it says, Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Your, your light will rise in the darkness. No matter how dark the hour, God says, you know, he'll illuminate it, what it needs, and turn up in it, and your night will become like the noonday. Then your light will break forth, healing will appear quickly, your righteousness will go before you, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Don't you like that? He's right there with healing, he's our rear guard, and he's gone before us, he says. That's what he'll do. That's his promise here. He says, you'll call and the Lord will answer your cry for help. He'll say, hey, here I am, or here am I. And then your light will rise in the darkness. I like that here am I bit just for a moment. If, if you ever break into our house, hopefully you won't, Mick Cook. <laughs> but if you ever did, you'll notice that if there's a noise, I'm often out of bed like that. I'm up, I'm down the hall. One time Lockie, I think, had to yell out to me, Dad, Dad, it's only me. <laughs> there is a bar next to my wall in my room. I have a premeditated plan of attack if you come through our window. God help you if you do. Please knock. And when something happens, it's like, here I am, kids. Here I am, like that. There's no delay. There's no, and that's what the Bible says. So, hey, when, when then you're, when you pray, it'll be like, here I am, like I'm right there. I'm in the moment. I'm right on top of it. I'm all over it. That's, that's God. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. What is it that would provoke God to such extravagant, that would provoke God to such extravagant sort of promises? I mean, what would provoke you to promise like that to someone? What is it that would, could, could provoke God to make such extravagant promises, to pour out such favour and such blessing? And so we see it in the verses. Listen to it. It says this as we read it in its context. It says, When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Um, 
This passage is rich with incredible promises, and we could talk about them all night. But what, what we see here really is, if I can put it like this, I want to talk to you about, um, at the end of the month, releasing a wave of generosity for, towards the powerless. Just releasing a wave, taking this month to release a wave of generosity towards the, the powerless. Um, elevating, alleviating, liberating the lives of the poor, the oppressed, and the voiceless. It's written in the law of God. It's, it's threaded its way through the pages of Scripture. I mean, it's there right at the start. It's there threaded through Scripture. It is, um, Jesus talked about the poor. The New Testament talks about the church and the poor. Jesus exemplified it. Jesus taught on it. And the Bible calls us to it. Um, to miss it, to dismiss it, or to simply move past it is to go closing our ears and our eyes to the thing that's almost the closest thing to the heart of God. I mean, take the centrality of the gospel out and you'll find the poor right in the next sphere of what's important to God. And we get the opportunity to do something about it. I like this quote by Benjamin Franklin. Hopefully we can get it up on the screen. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are, who are affected. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are, are affected. Um, do you ever get outraged? What do you get outraged about? Someone takes a parking spot where we were going to park. I don't know what it would be. What would outrage you? I tell you, someone speaks against my children. or that, I, I have to fight the outrage against that when someone says something about my children. And I have to rein myself in. There's something, there's a violent reaction that goes on on the inside of me. I have a violent reaction when people, ignorant people, are negative about the church. I mean, I get outraged by that. I especially have a violent reaction when church people are negative about the church. I get outraged about that. But what about the poor? What do you get outraged about? And so I think that God would have us get outraged around the plight of the poor, the plight of the oppressed, those who are voiceless and powerless, who we can bring a voice to and power to and raise and lift the oppression off, alleviate, elevate, liberate. Um, the lives of those who are powerless to do something about it. You and I actually have the opportunity to do it. We really do. And I think something over this month, my prayer is that you and I would get outraged enough about the plight of the poor, the oppressed, and the powerless, that we would at the end of this month do something extravagant about it, something, something over and above about it, something sacrificial about it. We're not keeping a cent. It's not about the money. It's about the poor. It's about the powerless. It's about the oppressed. And the fact that you and I, that we have the opportunity to do something pretty remarkable about it. Listen to this as, as uh, the, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Might come up on the screen behind me. I think it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, isn't it funny, you know, I've seen people get rich and the real risk is to get arrogant. Even when you get good at something, you know what I mean? Don't you? You get a little bit, you can get a little bit arrogant. Um, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life, uh, life that is truly 
life. Command those who are rich in this present age or this present world not to be arrogant and to put their hope in wealth, but to be, to be generous. The Bible seems to put a big spotlight, as it were, on God's heart towards the poor, the powerless, and, and the oppressed. And then he gives special responsibility and privilege to those who have much to do something about that. And so as, as you and I sit here, if we were in the gathering that day when the, the letter uh, of 1 Timothy was sent off to the church and Timothy reads it out to the congregation, if you and I were there that day, you know when you're sitting in church and you wish, you go, man, I, man, I, wish, um, I, wish, I wish Dan Moore was here today. Hear that. He really needs to hear that message. You know what I mean? You ever done that? I hope, I hope such and such is listening. If we were in the church, if we are in the church when Timothy read this letter out, the people sitting around you and I, the poor sitting around us, some of them would have been thinking, hope they're listening. Now, I'm not talking about the person next to you tonight, I'm talking about you. They'd be there, the poor would be there going, well, hope that, hope Benny's listening. Hope Benny's listening about be rich, be generous towards the poor, the oppressed, the powerless. You're the, you and I, we're the people that they would look sideways at with a little glance or they'd look at their mate and give a wink and say, we're the ones when they go home saying, man, I hope such and such listen to that. It, it us, we are the rich, we are the wealthy, we are the dream to billions of people across the planet and right across time. We are those people. You know, one of the things I love about our church musicians is these guys, you know, sometimes, I haven't heard it for years, but the other people say, oh, musicians just like the front. Mate, musicians spend so much time to get right for what goes on here. And they come out Wednesday night. I know what you're doing Wednesday night. I'm not here. They're out here Wednesday night. They rehearse. They're prayerful. They get ready. They've done prep at home. They come to Sunday while you're still in bed and I'm praying. Um, <laughs> they're, they, um, they're here. And what I love about musicians, they seem to get it more than most people, I think, is that if you can sing or if you can play, most Christians I know that amuse us, they get that you steward that for God. They're like, oh, I've got to sing. Now, there's some people think they should steward that gift for God, and obviously they shouldn't. We've got a vetting process, I think, for that. And, um, but, but for those who genuinely have the gifts, they, they understand, musicians tend to understand that they've got to steward that before God and bring it as a way of worship. Well, in the same way, those of us who are rich, which is almost all of this room, the Bible calls us to steward our wealth before God on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, and the powerless. If you ever notice how a toddler instinctively understands mine, it's true, right? I've never met a toddler in my life that went yours, ever. <laughs> Have you seen that toddler? In fact, if, if that toddler exists, we would know about it because the parent would be so proud of it, right? But the toddler doesn't exist, has never been born in the history of the world, yours. We understand a toddler does not have to be trained towards mine. It's just instinctively in our corrupted, fallen nature. I think as adults, because we know not to say mine, here's what I think we instinctively do. We build more, don't we? Uh, if you think about your house, we had, we had a whole bunch of people from new newish to church at our house today. A few people said, how beautiful is your home? 
And it is. It's a nice home. But 30 years ago, nobody had a home like that. But in Kalala, there's heaps of them. But 30 years ago, you had fibro, three beds, one shower, one, one kitchen. We still have one kitchen, don't we? <laughs> you know what I mean. You didn't have a garage. We have two. Anyone else have two garages? Two garages, so you can put the stuff in there that doesn't fit in your house. I mean, how rich are we, right? We have garages bigger than most people around the world's homes where we put the stuff that they're not using right now. We are rich, man, we are rich. And so because we're rich, we have the, the, the capacity for good. The, the, the lie is to say that I'll be better with more. I think the wisest thing my dad ever said to me, my dad um, semi-retired quite young and moved back to his hometown of um, Cairns. And I said to him, Dad, why, why don't you work harder? Because, you know, I, I like a good work ethic. And he said, for what, Daz? He said, I've built a lifestyle, which he did. He said, for what? So I can have a newer lounge? So I can have a bigger TV? So I can have a better car? He said, oh, I'm not interested in bigger, better, newer. And it was funny that my dad, who obviously not a follower of Jesus, he, he, just, he just, he'd settled that. But the, the challenge for most of us is the challenge of more. Because we actually have means. Most of us have means, and the challenge is the pursuit of more and the refusal to create margin. And so if we think about this idea, most of us have the capacity for extraordinary potential to do good for the poor. Here's my question. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. And then it goes on. So here's some ways to, to help us. Focus on why instead of why not. As we think about the end of the month and doing what we're going to do for the poor and the needy, like literally blind people will see as a result of that offering at the end of the month. Blind people in India who cannot work, have no means to work, are going to see because of what you and I um, do. Focus on why instead of why not. Women are going to be freed from trafficking that I can't begin to fathom because of what we do at the end of this month. If Focus on why instead of why not. Here's the second thought. If not me, who? And if not you, who? If we're not going to get it done, who is? So let's get it done. I'm not asking anyone for everything. I know that many of you, many, many of you are extraordinarily generous. But I'm just asking you to look again, think again, let's dig a little deeper. If not me, who and then? If not now, when? Like if you go, well, Darren, I'm not in the place this year. Am I in a worse place than I was five years ago? Some of you will be, and that's hard. If you're a farmer or dependent on farmers, you probably are in a worse place than you were five years ago. But for most of us, we're in similar places. And so if not now, when? What if things don't change? When would be the right time? So focus on why instead of why not. If not me, who? And if not now, when? Here's, here's the next passage I want to read to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Very famous piece on supplying the poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you, Paul says, about this service to the Lord's people. They're talking about an offering for the poor. He says, for I know your eagerness to help and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year um, you were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. You've got to love Paul. 
Paul's got no offer. I mean, think about this without spiritualizing it. Paul's got no offering from the Corinthians yet. And he's motivating the Macedonians by saying, man, the Corinthians are pumped about this offering. (laughs) Now he's going to flip it on the Corinthians and say, man, the Macedonians, they're poor. And they gave what they could give. And then he says, and they gave beyond what they could give. So he uses the Corinthians to motivate the Macedonians. And then he uses the Macedonians to really confront, I think, the, the Corinthians. And so you've got to like Paul, if you don't over-spiritualize it. And why does he do it? He says that they might be stirred to action. Although like Craig Groeschel says, we'll do anything short of sin to make sure that people's lives and eternities are affected. They, um, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonian came, come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. I wonder who would have left his church. So I thought it necessary, this is not a church growth plan here, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as a grudging one. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having that all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase. I like that. Daniel Urquhart, people like you who are extremely generous. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Listen to this. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourself. That's interesting because of the service by which you have proved yourself. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There is a whole lot going on there. Here are some thoughts. Make the move. The Corinthians, here's where they sat. They sat between clicker cause and became personal activists, didn't they? They, they, they sort of said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're in click like a social media post. But now they had to act. You know what they say about the current generation? I don't like picking on millennials. I love millennials. Most of you are sitting over here. A few oldies like me are scattered in between you. You know what they say about millennials? They are the most committed and passionate people to cause. And they are the worst donors. It's easy on social media, I'm not having crack, by the way, I'm not, because there's lots of people, the only people that genuinely get this are Gen Xs. Everyone else, either side of Gen X, hopeless at it. Gen Xs, brilliant, they get it. Here's the thing, it's easy for us to feel good. The Corinthians were feeling good about what they committed to. It's like the click, click a cause, forward it on. But the power was in the wealthy doing something, for the poor, 
to alleviate, to elevate, and to liberate. And so, you know, for us, like, as we look at the Corinthians, the, the, moving beyond and going, hey, let, let's be those who, who get it done because there's incredible people. Make a move from clicker cause to personal activism. A lot of people live in a no man's land when it comes to the poor and the oppressed. They're not happy about what is happening, but they're not unhappy enough to do anything about it. Uh, I don't think as a church, we've never been like that. This is a generous church, honestly. But, but, but some people are unhappy, but not unhappy enough to do anything about it. Let's be, let's be unhappy. Let's be hostile towards it. And let's do something about it in Jesus' name. Clicks get done less than people like to think. And cash gets done more than people want to admit. That's my thought. Clicks get done less than people like to think. And cash gets done more than people really know. There is a potential and power then of the compound effect. You and I giving, I mean, how many people in this room tonight? Maybe 100. What's 100 times 10? 1,000. <laughs> That's why I'm in charge. Uh, That's why Trisha's employed. 100 times 1,000. Right, I could have worked that out, everybody. 100 times 100 is 100. No, 100 times 1. Gosh. All right, let's stop there. Yeah. I can tell you three plus five equals eight. There you go. 100 times 100. Thank you. 100 times 100. 10,000. Calculated that, didn't I? 10,000. Like just out of this room, without anyone else from our church, the other however many hundreds of people, just out of this room, 100 times 100, we could raise $10,000 in a heartbeat. That's amazing. But even if we raise 100 by 10, no, I wouldn't be happy with 100 by 10, to be honest with you. We'll celebrate it. But in this room is the potential and the power of a compound effect. Here's the next thought. It says it resulted in glory to God. They, they just started praising God. Remember, think about what's going on. The Macedonians are praying and then the, the poor are praying. They're saying, God, we need an answer. And God says, I've got one. It's called Corinth. And you know, right now, people on the other side of our generosity, they're praying. They're praying for their next meal. They're praying for a compassion sponsorship. They're praying to be liberated from sex slavery. They're praying for eyes to be open. There's pastors in India praying for more funds so more people see, more people get glasses, more people get open to the gospel. They're praying right now and we know what's going to happen. When our rich, wealthy money reaches their poor, poverty-stricken situation that they are powerless to actually change themselves. When it reaches there, the result will be parents gathering their children around, I was going to say around the table. Most of them don't have tables. Gathering their children around, many of them, their one meal of the day. They will gather their children and go, we are thanking God because you're now getting an education. We're thanking God because, you know, your grandma's going to not be blind anymore. We're thanking God for answers to prayer. Last week, we prayed about miracles, right? We're in this place, I've never seen faith like it, and we're praying for miracles, won't we? You and I are the answer to someone's miracle just by taking our wealth and going, let's do something about the poorest, the powerless, the oppressed. We can do that right now. We can do that this week, and we can certainly do it this month. You and I are the answer to someone's miracle. Here's the thing. It's about justice in Jesus' name. This is really important. It resulted in praise to God. Sometimes we can do justice, and justice is good. Justice is good. And sometimes we preach Jesus, but we don't bring anything behind it. You know, if, we, if we preach Jesus without the good to the poor, it's hollow. And if we do justice without Jesus' name, it's shallow. 
because there's not only the life that's here and now, there's the eternity that is to come. We want to elevate, we want to alleviate, but we also want to liberate from sin and the, its tyranny. We want to liberate people's lives and their eternity. And so we want to do justice and we want to do justice in Jesus' name. Um, Mark chapter 9 and verse 41. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Let's do something generous in Jesus' name. Let's do something generous in Jesus' name. I know, I look across the room, the hardest thing for me to deliver this talk is that I know so many of you are generous already. But you know what helps me? The poor, the oppressed, the powerless, the voiceless. Because I know, I've seen, I've been, that our wealth liberates their lives. And when justice is connected to Jesus, it liberates their eternity. So just I want, I want to ask you to do this as we think. What, what the Bible says to the Corinthians about the Macedonians is that they went, they gave, and then they gave beyond what they're able. I'm just asking you, what is that going to be sacrificial for you as we think about the poor? And let me read this last verse. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Literally, that means, this verse translated means, to walk with God, then we must do justice out of merciful love. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with me? I was going to pray, but I just want to leave you with this clip and then the music is going to wrap. My name is Jane Biro and I was not born free. We didn't have anything growing up, and there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink. We started to beg for food and money, and so I started stealing and snatching things from people. After some time, I was arrested. The moment I entered prison, I felt like I came to hell, and I remember praying to God, if you are there, if you exist, please take me out of prison, and the most importantly, take me out of poverty. I got out of prison, but I went back to Madare, but by God's grace, that's when Compassion International came in. In the program, they would give us food, they would teach us the word of God, and I wrote a letter to my first sponsor. Although it's somebody that I've never met, they knew that I can be somebody. And they also told me something that I had not heard from my family. They told me that they love me. I started looking at myself as somebody who is actually gonna end up to be somebody. And I felt like I was free. I am free from poverty, from hunger, from prison, from hopelessness. I am free. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.